This is the best podcast on the planet. I'm not being biased at all. Thanks for listening, supporting, sharing, and subscribing to the Mindful Farm D podcast. Subscribe today wherever you listen to stay informed. Share with a few friends. Email Dr. Matman Harrell at themindfulfarmd at gmail.com exclamation point. Connect on Instagram at themindfulfarmd. Check out drmattmanharrell.bio.link for everything about the podcast. A thousand thanks and stay mindful. Imagine going to the bank one day only to find out that your account is overdrawn. You've got bills due, soccer supplies to buy for the kiddos, groceries to stock in the fridge, but only to have all of your financial resources suddenly vanquished. How would you feel if your financial resources were suddenly depleted? Nothing in the checking account, nothing in savings. Imagine the ATM laughing at you as you swipe and swipe and swipe again. Today, I'm gonna discuss something just as important as the financial capital that you have in your bank account. I want to discuss some valuable principles you can take to the mental health bank. I'm going to talk about recovery capital and its relationship to resilience. But first, I need a high five from you, my listeners, this digital high five. Would you share this podcast with five friends? Give me a like or a heart or five stars wherever you're listening so that I can keep this message and keep this work, keep this content coming. But I need, I need your help in order to do that. Share it with five friends, like it, subscribe to it so that when I send out a new podcast episode, you get the updates and take a seat. Like if you're driving right now, you do not want to miss the information on the other side of this intro. So share, support me, give me a high five, send me an email at the mindfulfarmd at gmail.com if you want to talk about and have a discussion about something. If you know some cool connections where I can invite people on and talk to them about different mental health topics, I want to hear from you. Email me at the mindfulfarmd at gmail.com and stay tuned for what's ahead. You're listening to the Mindful Farm D podcast. Welcome and a thousand thanks for tuning in. This podcast is about all of us. I'm your host and the mind behind the microphone, Matt Harrell. My focus on this podcast is to explore the mind through genuine conversations, thought-provoking ideas, and the reality that the story of mental health is incomplete.
What's up, Mindful Nation? I want to thank you again for tuning in to the Mindful Farm D podcast. I'm your host, Matt Manharo, and I've got a show for you today. I want to talk about how to improve and make deposits into your resilience fund. You know, we a lot of times are so concerned with making sure that we have, you know, certain capital that we can use, financial capital that we can use to purchase things, to make sure we have an, an adequate retirement fund, all these things that we worry about when it comes to, to, to green and to paper, right, as we call it. But today I want to talk to you about how to improve your resilience fund. I'm going to unpack a few uh, concepts that I think are helpful as you experience stressful situations, as you experience rough days like the one I'm going to tell you about that I had just a few days ago. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about what exactly is this idea? What exactly is recovery capital? And, you know, when you look at some of the uh, practices that have been in, in place for centuries now when it comes to natural medicine and natural remedies, one very important element of that is breathing and mindfulness. And as I get started here, I want to ask you another favor. Will you send me an email at the mindfulfarmd at gmail.com and let me know what mindfulness means to you. What, is, what does it mean to you to be mindful? And kind of walk me through some of the things that you do to help you remain calm or to help you get over a slump. You know, it's sometimes it's it's hump day in our minds. It's Wednesday, right? It's the it's that day of the week. We exhaust so much mental energy, maybe in our jobs, maybe in parenting, maybe in, in, in uh, getting to know our spouses, whatever the situation is. We've all have we all have days where they're just some days are just not as good as other days. And so uh, today I want to tell you about a day I had. Um, and but first, I want to talk to you about this idea called box breathing. First of all, we know that box breathing has been around for centuries. And this practice really does uh, find its roots in the ancient East. And even to this day, Navy SEALs use it. For example, Navy SEALs will use box breathing in high stress uh, situations. We know that Navy SEALs are uh, highly trained. They're an elite group of military personnel, you know, and, and I, didn't, I didn't know this until recently, but typically they only have about 10, 10 active teams of the Navy SEALs where there are about 200 or so uh, men and women on the teams, on these teams. And they, they, you know, accomplish some of the toughest missions and experience some of the toughest missions that we would, I mean, the rest of us would cry if we had to do some of their missions. I mean, going into enemy territory, having to, to swim and hold your breath for, you know, half an hour, hour on end, just these, these crazy practices that we hear about in the movies, but that these people actually do in real life. Sometimes when they're in those stressful moments, they use this method called box breathing. And I'm going to, you know, what that means here, I'll unpack in just a minute. They use this method, though, to help improve their mental health when they're in those stressful situations rather than flying off on the deep end or you know just losing control they focus instead they focus their breath they focus their breathing on uh overcoming that stressful situation and the truth is we have our bodies are, are designed 
so intelligently that everything, a lot of the things we need in order to overcome, a lot of things that we need in order to to get through a tough situation, we have present within our bodies. And I'm going to talk about that when it, when we talk about recovery capital. But this box breathing method is a is a way for you to slow your breathing. It helps you relax. It increases oxygen to your brain. It releases tension and it stimulates the vagus nerve. Now, some of us might know that the vagus nerve is the longest nerve in the human body. And it goes from the bottom of the brainstem or from the top of the brainstem, depending upon your perspective, all the way to the other end. And you know what other end I'm talking about. Like it, it's the longest nerve in the human body. And when you stimulate the vagus nerve, you have this ability to reduce your heart rate. So the, this box breathing method that these Navy SEALs use in these high stress situations gives them that ability to, again, breathe, breathe in oxygen, to bring in that oxygen into their brain, to bring in that oxygen into their, into their environment so that they then can have control over their response and how they move through, you know, difficult situations and how they move through uh, tough terrain, how they experience a mission where lives might depend on it. Uh, you know, our security as a nation might depend on it. They go through and practice this box breathing for those purposes uh, to maintain control. So what exactly is box breathing? First of all, I want you to imagine a square, right? That's where it gets its name from box. It's a, it's a box. Imagine that there's a square and in each square um, you have these, you, you're either going to inhale, you're either going to hold, you're going to exhale, and then you're going to hold again. So here's what you need to do. If you want to experience box breathing, you need to set a timer for five minutes and then sit down with a straight spine on the floor, you know, or you can do this in a chair with your feet flat on the floor. Then you want to close your eyes and inhale for a count of four, two, three, four, and then hold that breath for four seconds, two, three, four, and then exhale for a count of four. Two, three, four, and then hold that end of that breath one more time for a count of four. One, two, three, four. And you just repeat this until your five minute alarm sounds. And you know what? The, the good thing about box breathing is you don't have to wait until you're in a situation, a stressful situation before you do it. This is a good way that throughout the week, throughout the day to just develop a healthy breathing habits and again to bring in that oxygen into your body and to fight off fight off that tension and push away um that those stressful hormones that are that that oftentimes flow through our mind uh when we're in those stressful situations or even if we're thinking about a stressful situation you know we're thinking about what we're going to have to do when we go to work we're thinking about what we're going to have to do the next day to get the kids ready we're thinking about this big vacation that's coming up all these things that that are sources of stress, this box breathing can be a way for you to develop a source of resilience, which, which I want to talk about today. So the other day, you know, I'm, I'm this, this day I had, man, I, I, I can't tell you enough how challenging it was. And I, and I found myself breathing multiple times 
in order to bring myself to a state of, of calm. Um, I, I can't tell, can't exactly tell you why I felt the way I did. I can't exactly tell you, you know, where, where these, uh, these, the thoughts that were in my head were coming from. All I know is that it was a, it was a tough day. I, you know, I, I had to on multiple occasions sort of take a step back and put myself in a state of mind to where it's like, okay, this, this, this anxiety that you're feeling, this, this moment of stress that you're feeling, it's going to pass. It's, you know, it's going to pass. And so, you know, uh, I'm going to talk about a few of the things. I'm going to give you some homework at the end of this, this episode too. But one of the things that I found um, to be helpful again, was just to, to put myself in a state of mind to where I can slow down, understand and realize that the situation I'm in right now is just temporary. You know, in one of Dan Siegel's books, you'll hear me refer to him often, but he talks a lot about how the brain is, has uh, neural plasticity. And this isn't a, a novel idea. We all know that the brain is, 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 or we should know that the brain has this ability to sort of flex and bend and uh, neuro on a neuro uh, neural level. I'm not talking about physically bending, but I'm saying, you know, it had, it has the ability to sort of change and adapt based on the experiences that we're in. And so this, this sort of changing that the brain experiences is why, is why we say that it's neuroplastic. And a lot of times what we give our attention to will determine whether or not our brain is in a state of rigidity or if our brain is in a state of relaxation. And so when we, when we find ourselves, again, going back to that box method, when we find ourselves in that state of rigidity, it's so important, so important for us to uh, maintain and to put ourselves, to, to actively put ourselves in a state of relaxation. And so on this day, guys, I found myself, again, num- numerous times breathing through these moments. And you know, with me being the mindful farm D, right, as I call myself, you know, I'm, I'm sort of practicing what I preach by in those moments when I'm when I'm stressed out, when I'm anxious, when I'm worried, when I'm doubting myself and my 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 goals in life and all of these different things that I have on the horizon. When I'm in those moments, if I can just find a place and find a find a way to relax and calm down. These are the these are the things that that I want to be mindful of. And, you know, I find myself too more aware now because I'm practicing and being mindful of where I am, who I am and how I'm feeling. I'm finding myself more often now being aware of those moments when my brain is in a state and my mind is in a state of rigidity. Dan Siegel talks about how there's a difference between thoughts and feelings. You know, a person can feel as if they're alone. A person can feel as if they are um they are uh, anxious, but the thoughts that come with those feelings are typically negative. The thoughts that come with those feelings are typically things like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not good enough or, you know, this, this situation that I'm in right now is too much for me to handle, right? Those are the thoughts that leads to the feelings of being alone or being anxious or being, being depressed. And so practicing these, these breathing methods and practicing these ways that you can overcome, overcome and build up a, a certain level of resilience is, is really going to benefit you at the end of the day. And so I found myself in this day just worried about random things. Uh, it took me, uh, I had a challenging time trying to focus. 
But every time, I can tell you, every time that these thoughts would reoccur, these these moments of reoccurring negativity, every time they would occur, I would take a deep breath, I would release that tension, and I'd feel a little bit better, even if for a moment. So this this sort of brought me to the topic for today, which is something that has, you know, it was really uh, first conceptualized in the early 90s by Robert Granfield and William Cloud. And what this principle is, it's called the the recovery capital principle. And you and, and really what it where it finds its roots in is in the non pharmacological treatment of addiction. They use this to help people overcome uh, gambling addiction. They use they use this re, this recovery capital principle to help people overcome alcoholism. Um, and they and they did it without pharmacological treatment. And, you know, me as a pharmacist, I know that there are options out there to help people with their with their addictions. And for some people, that route is necessary. But for these people that they studied when they were developing this concept of recovery capital, you know, really what they did was they followed 46 people, 46 individuals who overcame their substance addiction by natural means. And what Granfield and Cloud did was they they conceptualized three main recovery capital domains. And they labeled these domains as human capital, physical capital, and social capital. These were like the first three, the triad, if you will, of of uh, factors and elements in your life that give you the ability to recover. Again, within the realm of addiction, but I'm going to show you how this principle really does sound a lot like resilience. And, and you know, so... With this recovery capital, what it does is it enables individuals to function better and to implement a range of coping strategies to achieve sustainable and long-term recovery. So in this, this first domain, this, this uh, well, first off, this human capital, later on we see that Granfield and Cloud and others, they build upon this, this concept of the first triad, the, the human, the physical, and the social and to now they have five main capital resources, if you will, or, or capital factors that uh, help people overcome and to recover. They are human capital, social capital, physical capital, cultural capital, and community capital. The, 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 the main three that I want to focus on today, though, and, and, and how they relate to resilience are really the first three, which is the human the social and the physical. So human capital is really conceptualized as the, the, your, your well-being, your self-efficacy, your, your ability to control, to, you know, control your emotions, to control your behaviors. These, these things that are innate within you and that give you the power to, uh, to overcome and to recover. Again, when we talk about within the realm of addiction, specifically, how a person might overcome needing to drink six bottles of beer a day or how a, a, a drug addict might overcome needing to have that high. So these things, and, and, and I don't want to trivialize addiction at all, but what they found was that within us, there is this, this ability, this, this human capital, this innate individualistic ability 
to overcome things and to to recover from stressful situations. And so you have to think and ask yourself, how likely is it or how well do you function in terms of your self-control? You know, when you see a, a donut and you've got a sweet tooth, are you able to say, no, nah, I'm good. I'm going to I'm going to pass on that. I'm going to pass on that treat. Or do you just give in? You just you just go straight forward and, you know, you you take when you know you're supposed to be dieting or, you know, you, you know, it's going to upset your diabetes or upset your sugar levels. What do you do in those moments? How how likely is it that you will abstain from a certain behavior or abstain from a certain uh, allowing a certain thought to take power and take control over your situation and over your experience? So that's the first domain, the human capital. And then the second domain is the social capital. So the social capital is really defined as the sum of a person's tangible or virtual resources, such as family and relationships and broader social networks. So we move on from the individual and now we come to the social, your friends, your family. How healthy are those relationships? Those things Those connections give you the ability or can give you the ability and aid in your ability to to recover and to overcome and to develop a sense of resilience, a sense of strength, the social capital. Um, It refers to the benefits of taking part in social groups. Do you go to church? Do you have uh, friends outside of work? Do you have uh, friends outside of your immediate home? This and, and if you do, what is the not? What is the quality of those relationships? Not the quantity, but what is the quality of those relationships? How well can you trust that your life, how how well can you trust that when you put your situation and your life in the hands of somebody else, that they're going to handle it with care? What does your social capital look like? And then lastly, the physical capital, which is defined as a domain that relates mainly to You know, financial assets such as income and property, wealth and housing and having these resources can open doors in order for an individual to recover, uh, in order for an individual to develop a sense of resilience. Now, again, I know that as I'm speaking, you're saying to yourself, well, what how does this relate? We when we talk about within the realm of when we talk in the realm of addiction. You can see how having physical capital, physical means to go and pay for, you know, a uh, an alcoholic uh, or an addictions uh, expert to help you overcome those situations in order to go into pay for rehab or in order to live in a community that's that that gives you the ability to. To recover, so having that physical capital can be an aid and can be a source of recovery. Well, so, too. When you talk about resilience, you look at the socioeconomic factors, the physical capital of an individual who has, you know, maybe they have um, the ability to go and pay for counseling, or maybe they have the ability to go and take a vacation to, to, to reset and to recover. This physical capital then has uh, a way, this physical capital then has a way of helping you or could potentially have a way of helping you through a tough decision. If you can't afford to go on a vacation, if you can't afford to take a break because your physical capital, your finances, 
are not uh, in a in a place that allows you to do that, then you just have one less source of recovery or one less source of resilience. So we talked about human capital, we talked about social capital, and we talked about the physical capital as terms of uh, Granfield and Cloud's recovery capital. And again, these people that they followed, they overcame their addiction without the help of any drugs, without the help of any uh, pharmacological substances, but using their human capital, using their social capital, using whatever physical capital they had access to, they were able to overcome these things. And a lot of times when you, when you talk about the, the idea of addiction, it's not always about will. It's really about knowing and, and having the skill to overcome the skill to recover. You know, a lot of times the will is there, but they don't have the means, the physical means, the social means, the human means, the innate human means in order to overcome these, these tough things. And so likewise too, when we talk about resilience and how it relates to this principle of recovery capital, you know, really recovery capital and resilience are the, the, the two sides of the same coin. And so as I studied this and took into mind and researched Granfield and Cloud's work and others work about recovery capital. It sounds a lot like the idea of resilience. And the definition of resilience is the ability to recover quickly from difficulties, to spring back into shape. How many of us would 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 love to be able to spring back into shape our mental health, to spring back into shape our ability to get through stressful situations? You see, resilience helps you realize that what you might feel in the moment can change in a moment. That uncomfortable feeling you feel when you're stressed, when you're frustrated, when you're angry, when you're embarrassed. All of these things are just temporary storms. You know, I I grew up in Florida and I joke about it all the time. But, you know, in Florida, it can be rainy one one minute and sunny the very next. Or if you really want to get weird. It can be rainy and sunny at the same time. So you have to understand that when you go through these moments of stress, when you go through these moments of of difficulty, you have to trust and know that they are temporary and that there is a there is a difference between uh, a feeling and a thought, a feeling and a thought. Feelings are more or less temporary. Your thoughts, though, they take some work. And so that's where the whole idea of mindfulness comes in and and having these sources of resilience to come in and really help you through those moments so bridging these two concepts together i've coined a phrase you talk about bridging recovery capital and resilience really you know it, it's it's really simple it's just a resilience fund do you have a healthy resilience fund you can put into this fund or you can take away from this fund and the way you put into the fund, I'm going to give you a few ways that I put into my fund, but, and this is going to be a part of your homework, but I want you to identify some resilience resources that you have available to you in your life. You see, because resilience requires practice, just like saving, just like saving physical capital, physical money. Sometimes you contribute to the fund. And then at other times, you know, say during an emergency, you withdraw from the fund. But the goal is to make 
more deposits than withdrawals. That's how you get and develop a healthy savings account. That's how you develop a healthy resilience fund is by making more deposits than withdrawals. Those things that cause you to withdraw from your resilience fund are stress, uncertainty, things that frustrate you, things that make you angry, things that make you upset. Those things cause you to withdraw. And so likewise, you have to find sources that help you make deposits. And so how you make deposits will depend on the resources that you have available. And let's be honest, like I said earlier, some people have more resources than others. When you talk about the human capital, those things that are innate to each and every one of us, it all depends on how we grew up. How did you see your, your mom and your dad and your parents handle stressful situations? Did they become angry or did they practice having resolve? Those things are the way that they behaved is also going to be the way potentially that you behave because behavior is learned. So that human capital. And then when you talk about the social capital, you're, you're growing up, you you're grown and on your own in this moment. Do you have adequate social capital that help you make deposits into your resilience fund? Are there friends that you can trust that are available family? Again, whether it be, uh, you know, I find community in going to church. I find community in hanging out with people from my church and the strength that comes from that. So do you do you have access to those types of those types of uh, resources? And then when you talk about the physical again, if you can't afford to go on a vacation, if you can't afford to to take uh, uh, take a step back to cash in some of those days at work. How likely is it that you're going to be resilient when another stressful situation, another stressful situation presents itself? How likely are you going to be able to recover? How likely are you going to be able to overcome and think through and realize this is just a temporary situation that I'm in? This too shall pass. Let's be honest. Some of us have more resources than others, whether it's economical familial, relational, and some of us also have more sources that cause us to withdraw from our resilience fund. Whether you're a VP of an organization or a leader of an organization, these stress factors, this, this balance between leisure and stress and fun and work, is there really a balance? Some would say no. You know, in this day and age, there's 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 so much pulling in our attention that the scales of work life balance have been tipped in the favor of work for so long. When you talk about low paying jobs and low wages and people graduating from college with with degrees that they can't even use. And so they end up having to work more then they can actually enjoy life because it means the difference between whether or not they're going to lose their house, whether or not they're going to be able to succeed later in life. So stress is what I'm saying. These are, these are stressful situations. These are things that, that cause you to withdraw from your resilience fund. So here's a way, here are a few ways that, you know, I develop my resilience fund. Number one, for me, prayer is essential. Prayer is essential. Some of you may not 
may not you know realize it or 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 some of you may not uh, have a, a prayer life or maybe you know just by practicing mindfulness you feel as if you're tapping into a certain you know spiritual domain but for me prayer is essential prayer gives me that energy prayer gives me that 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 strength that i need it's my primary source of resilience and i find that strength when i'm when i spend time either you know on my knees or riding on on taking a, 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 a right now i drive 45 minutes to work so sometimes i use all that that time praying and in those moments by the time i arrive at the store by the time i arrive at my workplace i'm ready i've got the energy i need to get me through the day because i've spent time in prayer another another source of resilience for me is uh, having a sense of intentional awareness intentional awareness of what's actually bothering me because here's the truth that day you know recently when i had that that tough time that tough day again just in my in my brain in my mind i just it was just tough and i'm and i'm in a situation i'm in an environment that requires you know i'm pulled in five six seven eight different directions having an intentional awareness of what's actually bothering me i realized in that moment it wasn't work it wasn't my coworkers it wasn't my customers coming in there were other things that were that that had plagued me really that i brought into the day from the previous day that were now bothering me and so it, so being intentionally aware of what's actually bothering you can be a way for you to say this person is not the problem this person yelling at me across the across the counter is not the problem this person pulling on my attention in this moment my co-worker pulling on my attention in the moment is not the problem my wife not understanding or my spouse not understanding what i'm trying to communicate is not the problem what exactly is bothering you and being intentionally aware of what that is that keeps you stuck or that that has you feeling like you're stuck it's about being mindful not being mindless being mindful not being mindless so that's another source for me uh that i that i put into my resilience fund and that again that's having that intentional awareness of what's actually bothering me so i'm able to realize in the moment and overcome in the moment and say this isn't the problem i can name I can exactly, I can name the issue. Uh, and then it helps me to realize that what I, what I thought was the issue or what I feel is the issue in front of me is not really the issue. So having an intentional awareness of what's actually bothering me can be a source of resilience for me. The third thing that I find help in is having relationships with my coworkers, with my family and with my and really with my customers a few weeks ago i had the wonderful privilege of meeting a, a woman who she came into the store and she asked me a question about an over-the-counter product and um you know i asked her some questions as i always do because when it comes to medications i'm a bit i'm a little bit conservative because i, I believe again that a lot of what we need to overcome is innate to us it's natural it's it's in our bodies Sure, sometimes we need a little bit of a supplement, you know, whether it be a vitamin or 
know, prescription drug. We need that supplement every now and then. But for all t- intents and purposes, everything we need to overcome is, is, is beautifully woven within this, this body of ours, within this mind of ours. And so she came in the store. She was stressed out. Uh, she was looking for some type of vitamin to help her focus. And just by asking her some questions and really taking the time to get to know her in that moment, and developing a professional relationship with her, what I found out was that she was stressed out about uh, uh, her husband having cancer. And I looked at her and I said, you know, what you need is not another pill. You need rest. And she looked at me and she said, you know, you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm stressed out about what's happening in my home. My husband is, is, you know, uncharacteristically, he's yelling at me more because he's stressed. And so, you know, she's in the store and she's looking for something, another Band-Aid to put on top of the situation that she's experiencing. And I said, you know, you, you just need some rest. So I have, I, I have to believe that she walked out of that, that store that day feeling a little bit stronger. And I asked her at that moment, I said, who, who can you talk to? Do you have friends? Do you have relationships with, with close friends or with family whom you can confi- confide in? And talk to them about what you're feeling and be okay to be, to be honest with them and say, I'm stressed out. Things are out of control. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that my husband is going to die. I'm afraid that my husband is going, I'm going to lose him. So developing those relationships for me is another source of resilience. And then related to it, my last source of resilience is really and truly making others smile. For me, this becomes an opportunity to mirror their behavior by smiling myself. How many of you, when you see somebody smile, you smile back? Well, if you're normal, that's the, that's the normal thing to do. Somebody smiles at you, you smile back. But it's a way for, for me to mirror their behavior. Did you, did you know that smiling can also release feel-good hormones like dopamine and endorphins and serotonin? And smiling, just like the, the box breathing, results in relaxation. It creates a positive feedback loop that when you, when you smile, you feel good. And when you feel good, you smile. And sometimes you just got, you, you've just got to smile at the, 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 the craziness that's happening around you. When I'm at work sometimes, I tell my coworkers all the time, embrace the chaos. Just embrace the chaos. By smiling and realizing this is just a temporary situation. When you smile, you tell the brain, I'm ready to make a connection. You're ready to make a connection to another human being who's also smiling back at you and giving you those, those good vibes and helping you release those dope, that dopamine, those endorphins. And when you do this, your mood improves and you, guess what? You lighten up. You lighten up in that moment. So sources of resilience for me, things that I put into my resilience fund on a regular basis, prayer, intentional awareness, healthy relationships, and making others smile. So I want to turn it to you. I want to ask you to write down five or so things, five or so resources that you can use to put into your resilience 
fund. And if you feel so bold and you want to share them, send me an email at themindfulfarmd at gmail.com. I want to hear and later maybe even share some things that you, my listeners, are doing to improve your resilience, to give you that, that strength to overcome in stressful situations. I leave you with this. Focus your thoughts on what is true, noble, righteous, pure, lovable, or admirable, on some virtue or on something praiseworthy. Think about these things. I hope you've enjoyed the show today. I'll see you next time. I leave you with this. Focus your thoughts on what is true, noble, righteous, pure, lovable, or admirable on some virtue or on something praiseworthy. Think about these things.